started in And welcome to Action Replay's Extra Time Podcast. Today we're going to talk Barcelona, Bayern Munich. Can a team beat them in the Champions League? Lackluster Man United. Professional redemption for Arsenal, Chelsea and City. And we're going to talk Jamie Vardy's big day out, Jack Grealish, rugby. And we're going to have Steel Howell on the phone to talk about the doping in rugby. That was an interesting intro, lads. The intros just get better every single week. Yeah, thank, I was really thank you. It. Yeah, if you didn't like our vocals at the start, there's not much you could do about it now. Ah, uh, passion exemplified tribute. as we heard in the commentary there. Yeah, tribute to the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, <laughs> so, have you been watching the Champions League this week? Have indeed. Yeah, we started on the Tuesday night watching Barcelona and Roma, and it was just an absolute clinic. If ever you've seen one, it, I mean, there's a lot of thoughts and a lot of question marks about will, how will Leo Messi fit back into the side, <laughs> but he, ju- he he seemed to just link up with Suarez and Neymar. It just seamlessly and, and, and Barca play a lot of possession football as we know and they do like to pass and spray the ball around the field but not only were they, they kind of playing a lot in Roma's half it seemed once they got the ball up the field the movement and the attacking movement in the Barcelona attacking line and just the the link up play between Suarez Ness, Messi and Neymar I don't think we've seen an attacking trio that can combine as well or as effortlessly as they do but you, you, you talk about Messi fitting in after his absence but like and then three players can play in the three positions in the front and th- the forward three. You know, yep. so Messi can play in the centre, left, right. Suarez can play right, left if he has to. And even during the game, he does interchange. Uh, uh, even with Liverpool, he did that mm. time and time again. And Neymar, Neymar is he kind of ghosts around the field as well, Very probably much a free more than ever. There in the attacking line, um, what I was confused about was Roma playing such a high line. They they seem to play their Nangolin and who was their other midfielder? Pjanic. Pjanic. Yeah. Pjanic sat. They both sat quite deep, but the defence was playing a very high line which kind of confused me because it seems to be if that's the way to play Barcelona it's not to invite them to play <laughs> long passes to fast strikers over the top which is exactly what I think it was in the first goals Neymar just just literally went by someone and then just split the defence open with a pass T- with a killer pass take a, take a look at I know we've been talking a lot about Ireland in the past few podcasts but Pjanic in Bosnia played very deep against Ireland and Ireland had a bit of found a bit of um, easiness to get through get through them to, a few times in Bosnia but it's the same like, if you're going to do it against Ireland and you do it against Barcelona what's going to well, happen yeah, they're going to put there's six passes there's yeah. a big difference between teasing Ireland to try and kill you with a, with a killer Pjanic, with a great pass but if you're teasing Barcelona you're just asking for uh, Pjanic, Pjanic is, I don't think he has any defensive ability that's not what he's there for that's not his. That's not what his ability is about his ability is that kind of in the 10 David Silva uh, role you know mm. that that's spreading the passes left, left uh, right and centre really when, you, when you can see six goals I mean it's not really I'm not blaming him I'm just blaming maybe the tactics 
tactics that they they had yeah, out, no, and they, they were playing a high line as well, which yeah, it was they weren't the great, they weren't mind the best And and their manager was shaking his head like in disgust like about his belief that this had actually happened. Like you invited <laughs> Barcelona to pass the ball against you, and they, they ended up scoring multiple. Do goals. you think the gap is getting even bigger now between the elite teams in Europe and I suppose what you'd call the second tier, where Man United seem to well not even sit now, but mm. even Real Madrid seem to be left I, behind. I mean, it's Bayern yeah, Munich they, and Barcelona this season and Ev- can anyone, everyone else um, can, can you see a team other than those winning the Champions League yeah I'd say Juve would be my only kind of pick outside of that round because um, I really can't see I can't see Arsenal I can see Arsenal getting to the second round or quarterfinals as usual and somehow stuffing it up um, Chelsea their domestic form really scares me yeah um, could definitely not back them for a deep European run United ha- might not even get out of the group um, and then with regards to City it's, they looked City like they were problem, trying, but but even when we looked at if if City drop Barca in the in the quarterfinal Again. second round, they just they yeah. got demolished last year. Yeah. Juve is really yeah. the only team that I think is defensively set up and probably has the know how to take this Barca team. If not, if not for Bayern Munich, they've been kind of sketchy in the league though as well. They seem to get getting their act together. They're kind of a hangover from the from the Champions League and the, the kind of success they had last year. The, the, well, the, the the final it was a surprise that they got to the final by many, although they were defensively solid. We know that's Juventus hallmark, but. If you, uh, there's one team that is on, that is kind of going in under the radar, and they're a huge name, PSG. I think PSG, um, they're growing mm. each and every year. They, they they were brilliant against Real Madrid. Exactly. I don't know how they lost that game because and they passed them off the field. They put it up against Barcelona last year uh, once or twice, and and they've they've come to Chelsea and they've gotten results. You know, they've come to places like that. They seem to be learning more and more as their f- financial status and their 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 team status, the club status in- increases. So I wouldn't rule them out whatsoever, but. Uh, given a little bit of a stake for Chelsea, you know, the last time they didn't make the top four, they won the Champions League. So that might be one one to one to think about come <laughs> the end of the season. But just going back to Barcelona, did you see Chesney's comments after the game or what he said to BT Sport? <laughs> nah. I did. Yeah, it was something. I'm sure you have the quote sure, here. We'll have a listen here now. We'll just. Get- it's beautiful to watch because we played against a team from another planet. Um, I mean, I was in goal playing playing for us Roma, but I just I was there and I, I appreciated what I saw from Barcelona. They were ridiculously good and and um, as sad as it is to, to lose a game uh, six to one um, it was beautiful to watch as hard as it is to lose a game six one it was a beautiful game to watch he yeah, just keeps like, shooting himself in the foot yeah really Jesus. not what you want to hear from your goalkeeper after what, what else can you say stuff. you can't say but he's like know. in fairness he's not lying like he's telling the truth oh, yeah. he's like you know I, I just find it funny he's like we played against a team from another planet it was like well no they, they were on their planet and you were in goal and you watched them consistently <laughs> they're actually a short Ryanair flight away <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he saved a penalty but, but the thing oh, is he, he couldn't do anything about it though, the, the t- you know? it's kind of the situation of uh, Tim Crew last year with Defoe Defoe's goal and shaking yeah. hand and nobody Wants to see that from a from a Newcastle point of view, and when you're when when you're playing competitive football, and you want the win, and you see at halftime, oh well done, fair fair play, to you. that was a great goal. I was happy to be in goal to concede yeah. that. You don't want to see it, but yeah. fair, it is a bit of a respect. Or who was it in well. the Champions League last season? Swap shirts at halftime. Oh, there's only one person for that. It's Mario Bellatelli. Yeah. There's only ever there's only one culprit that's capable of that. <laughs> It's, it's, but it's no, f- I don't think it's as bad as the jersey swap. But I do. I get the point. It's like you don't want your players 
after you get battered, the last thing you want them to do is just glorify the other team. You want them to be saying, like, you know, that, no, that's not We're good ashamed. We, yeah. we need to cop, cop on cop and, on. and, and, and get going That's not good again. enough. That's yeah. not acceptable. And you expect those types. That's why when you see that... But at the same time, then, you're fooling nobody if you pretend you're playing at the same level as Barcelona Because the they clearly weren't. Because Messi, Messi, Neymar and Suarez for 2015 have scored 121 goals between them. The <laughs> yeah. entire Real Madrid squad has scored 106. Yeah. That's yeah. it's, it's simply stunning. If like, Chelsea went out and said, "Oh, we played well," or you know, "Oh, we were unlucky," like you're fooling nobody. Yeah, I think I think also it'd be like if Chelsea had a howler, it would be like you'd be mad at that comment. And if they lost like two 0 he saved the penalty. You know, he saved the penalty. Yeah. And in fairness, if Rudy Garcia decides to play a, a high line and they get absolutely consistently <laughs> exposed, Chelsea can only like if you've seen that Suarez goal, Chelsea can't do anything to stop no. that. You know what I mean? It's not. It's but, on his back yeah. foot, and Suarez has just produced an absolute but, piece of. As brilliance. we were saying. But that's the reason why he is in Rome and he's not an Arsenal keeper now. You wouldn't see Czech going about like that. Oh, well, well done, Barcelona. Fair play. I granted, then again, yeah. they, he rarely can see the goals against Barcelona and lost to Barcelona. But still, in, it's in the same context. Like that, he's more of a leader at Arsenal, and, and Chesney keeps shooting himself in the foot. Like the, I get the whole, that, but after after what happened to Roma and what after happened to Madrid on the weekend, it's like would Arsenal be any different? You know what I mean? If he was in Arsenal, like <laughs> uh, the way the Barca team's going. Oh. Like it, they're it's a like, train. Yeah, it's like when you have that that just just unrelenting force of Messi, Neymar, and Suarez. Like it, it seems to be most defenses in the world can't stop them. Me- and when when are people going to catch up? Because it's they're still on the transfer ban, aren't they? Like they're getting Chiran yeah. in January or next, <laughs> and they're getting Pog. Well, is Pog signed? Or is I he? Think Pogba, he is, I think Pogba. I think from what I've heard, he signed like one of those pre-contracts where it's like he yeah. signed the year before in relation so to play the next. They've year. got improvements on the way. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you improve that team? It That's doesn't say question. much for Juventus but, being the closest team to but, challenge them when Pogba is going to be going the other way soon enough. Though. From English fans' point of view, English club fans' point of view, would you mind seeing this trio? And and even when Messi moves on, would you mind seeing Suarez and Neymar and whoever steps in just dominating for another ten years? Because it's just beautiful. It's a I watched. Privilege to watch. oh, it's, it's I watched. I watched them goals. Uh, the, the the Messi goal, the first one. I just it was outrageous. The the, the pass over the top, the chip with spin, yeah. and then yeah. the chip. It was Suarez's ball. It was, Suarez, it was Neymar kind of cut in off the wing. Yeah. Passed it. Suarez just dinks it over to the top, basically. Uh, instinct and then ne- like Messi with two guys coming down his back and the goalkeeper he didn't even look up didn't even look up and just but then Na- the I think it was Neymar was coming in he could have tapped it in but he kind of blocked the yeah. defender he's yeah. like I'm not ruining this no, for you. this no. was, was absolute a- magic absolutely he, yeah it was almost as if he just didn't want Messi howling down his <laughs> neck either because you know if it was Cristiano Ronaldo oh my and Bale God. does oh, it then God, it'd be fireworks. But like, well there it, were fireworks because it did happen yeah. Yeah. but it's the selfishness as well because Messi was going on to a hat-trick and then after Neymar won the penalty yeah, you know, we, we you wouldn't have blamed Messi for taking the penalty no. and scoring his hat trick, but it's just that they seem to really be in sync with each other, and there's no kind of, I suppose, it kind of helps that they're also ridiculously talented that they can share the load. Do you know what I mean? But if we look at if we look at Madrid, it's constantly this power struggle between Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. and everyone else. You know, no one. It's like Ronaldo is, is the alpha male. And he had He's, a terrible yeah. game last week as well. and I don't know how he can just excuse himself coming out and saying it's either Benitez or it's me because he spent 90 minutes in the Bernabeu last week with his hands on his hips. having. He might sold. as well have been sitting in the stand. 
Mm. Yeah, but he did he did kind of uh, re-justify himself a little bit when he did score two and assist the two in the 4-3 win over Shakhtar, although Shakhtar should have never came back to three goals when you're 4-0 up. That should never happen. They did that last year as well. I remember watching Shal- the Madrid game. No. Uh, well, yeah, not Schalke. only, that, not only yeah. Schalke as well, but they did in the league. Real Schalke, they were up like 3-0 at half time yeah. and they lost the game 5-3. And it just seems to be like they... An ego. There's an arrogance with yeah. that Madrid team that once they get a couple of clears, mm. like, they're not going to be... And they just... There's a lot of... I suppose it's a lot of petulance in that team where there's a lot there's not a lot of accountability it seems to be like everyone just kind of like zero accountability zero yeah. patience they just want it all and they want the name mm. yeah. but listen lads I'm kind of getting bored of they talking about good football so <laughs> <laughs> Manchester United PSV Oh yeah, this is this is the stuff that we want to be talking about. Is the the intri- the striker the issues are evident. At least it makes our job easier. We we don't like there's not too many highlights to point out and talk about. Like it's it's kind of making our job a little bit easier. Okay. It was dull. I know that this is only a fan opinion on the BBC phone in, but what do you think of this quote here? Van Hal is destroying our club, and we played better football under David Moyes. Um, probably a bit exaggerated and a bit over the top but in saying that destroying the club I don't know exactly playing better football than Moyes I'd probably have to agree it was more attractive football but uh, Van Gaal's football has been more but effective was it, it was it attractive football because David Moyes has huge in criticism I wouldn't say I don't comparison. I wouldn't even say that I, I, I like, love a good cross in but yeah, yeah but, but, <laughs> but they were struggling to get chances created you know United do have a few make a few chances it's just it, it doesn't come as pressure keeps you know you know when teams get on top and they put pressure on the opposition mm. it doesn't seem as like it's it's they get they find pressure Patches. It's just maybe one every twenty minutes. They might have a chance, and then it's tw- uh, fifteen minutes defending, and then they might go up. It's it's strange the way that Van Hal is not taking any risks with a team. It's so conservative. But, like, but what do you think? Like, if they did go and take risks, do you think that they would start conceding goals and they wouldn't be getting the results? Like, do you think that? that because that's the problem. If Louis Van Hal can can get results going forward, why doesn't he do it? He obviously doesn't I, trust his team. I honestly think they're just one striker away from being title contenders. Mm. No, yeah. no, no, there's this if you look at the defense, the defense has been outstanding in the, in the league. Certainly, like they've scored, yeah. they've only conceded nine goals in thirteen odd games. Like it's one of the best yeah. defenses, and it's just overshadowed because I think it's this this argument, and and I think a couple of us were talking about it the other day. Is that United is not only a football club anymore, not even a brand; it's a company. Yeah, and they 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 pride themselves. Well, they don't pride themselves, but they're largely associated with playing this really, I suppose, for years, this attractive football under Ferguson. But as I think, I was listening to John Giles on the radio last night, and, you know, Giles can be a bit on and off depending on, on what the situation is. <laughs> but he was he was kind of right in saying that they didn't really play attractive football. They just played till the end, and they had players that were, like, how many times did we see them score late goals? Oh, 2-0 down, yeah. they win 3-2. Yeah, they always yeah. played the right decision. It wasn't just like, let's get the ball forward and, like, let's yeah. attack. It was, it was a consistent process. <sighs> Um, and it does seem to be with Van Gaal there definitely is a, a process there and he definitely has his style of play um, he's, he's, he's stamped his staple on this team but do you think his staple is going to get them past Wolfsburg in two weeks time Oh, it could be but like you, you, you don't if I have the choice between choosing watching Barcelona and Man United it's Barcelona over there. even if, if I have the choice of watching Arsenal over United I'm watching Arsenal over United it's just United aren't a very appealing team to watch they're effective and I do agree I do agree in some sense with that statement in regards they probably are one key striker away. but as we've seen time and time again I think at this time in football world class strikers are at a higher premium than ever like you really to get like a top if you want to get like a Robert Lewandowski you're going to have to pay 50 55 million at least 
I, I still don't really agree with John Joyce and the fact that they always had this kind of high-pressing offense. You're not going to see Depay chase people down. You'll see Rooney. No. All day long, you'll see Rooney running, running and running and running. That's, he's, a, he's kind of a dog at the, uh, center forward, you know. Mm. He'll keep running. The likes of Dirk Kuyten, uh Carlos Tevez were similar. But uh, they also they also had wit. And, and the one thing that's missing for me, for, for United, they have so much possession, but... Where is that trademark United uh, bombing down the wings, bombing down the, the wing, but overlap. but also um, like getting the ball and running up the pitch, counter attacking? We we don't see that yeah. anymore, you know. It's yeah. it, we don't see that. We just see this possession, this obsession with possession, which uh, we've seen. I think it was the Chile manager saying a uh, kind of a, a funny <laughs> a funny anecdote about basically he was with his uh, he was with this woman and he bought her drinks and food, oh, yeah, and then one. this man came and made love with her and all this and, and whatnot, and he's like, yeah, but I had her for most of the night, you know. It's it's <laughs> same thing though Jorgen Klopp is a, is a, one of my favourite quotes from him I, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't know a word for it but he's like the first statistic I don't look at it's not the statistics it's how far my players have ran and you've seen the success that he's brought to this high pressing uh, offence against Man City choking Man City when they're mm. passed it around the back and we're, we're missing that from Louis van but the question remains if they win silverware does anyone care about how boring they play because look at Chelsea last no, year they won't. Winning, winning cures everything like if you win the league you can't criticise Van Gaal like you just you can't and some people I think I even heard people last night on the radio that were talking about like well maybe it's a good like maybe that's the worst thing that can happen yeah. United win the league because that means Van, then Van Gaal is justified in the style genius, of football yeah. that he's playing and then that gives him a couple more years on the leash at Man United mm-hmm. but I think as well another thing is if you look at them as feelers Schweinsteiger and also Schneiderlin they play in, in a sort of deeper role as we as we kind of expect yeah. and when you got guys like Rooney and I suppose either the pay or Lingard, whoever's playing up front, they can't really abandon the position. So if these, if Schweinsteiger and and Schmeiland are playing very deep, you don't really. It's not like say like one of the trademarks of Paul Scholes was constantly seeming to have that late run into the box or being able to kind of surge up the midfield and then that that draws in defenders and you can play passes off from there but there's just no movement in that in that United kind of like front line. One tactical issue I have if starting both Schneider and and and, and Schweinsteiger is look look at all the other teams. Uh, Chelsea only manages their defensive field. They've had their problems this year, but th- last year it worked for the most part. Yeah, City's the, uh, largely Fernando. Uh, for, for Fernando, but even but the, I'll come to Man City in a minute. Uh, you come to Liverpool, Lucas. Lucas, yeah. he's their only defensive fielder. Uh, you go to Arsenal, Coughlin. He's injured now, but he was their only main defensive fielder. Everyone else was allowed the freedom. When Man City start Fernandinho and Fernando, Fernandinho is box to box, but he can he has he can put in tackles and he's mm-hmm. a bit of defensive. That's when they seem to struggle the most. You know when they have the two and they don't they can't choke people up front as I've been saying they don't have that that uh, forward pre- presence up there yeah. you know and and that's the problem that I see that United like, have you, you would think that if they were going to play so they have a number of options it's like but then who I think with their striker issue now they're pretty much going to play Rooney up front because yeah. I don't know with Marshall injured they've just loaned out James, James Wilson, Wilson they sold off Javier and you're not going to put the batting ram Fellaini up front I don't think uh, with, under this criticism <laughs> you don't know he's, he's done it before but he's also seemed to revert to that as a substitute role but you would have thought that like Rooney played that number 10 position yeah. and then ideally you'd have Marshall up front but if Rooney you probably have like Mata in behind that in in that in that kind of centre attacking midfield role but he seems to have a huge reluctance playing Mata and I think largely because of his probably defensive work rate in terms of getting back why and, Mourinho got rid of him yeah yeah exactly so and, and I suppose if you play Mata on the wing he doesn't it paces just one thing he that, is playing a little bit on the wing now but like, then you have to put Rooney in centre attacking midfielder but now you're going to have to put him I think Mata's going to be forced to play centre attacking midfielder now for the next 
next few games, which is be- probably yeah. might be the better for them. It you probably know, will be the yeah. but then who do they have on the wing? Because Depay seems to be under har- like harsh uh, criticism, which is it seems have, a bit justified. You know, yeah, they'll probably have Depay and Lingard is is what I'm guessing. And Lingard, he's been slightly inconsistent. He's been doing fantastic things, but he's been m- missing horrible chances. He did he did against. Uh, against PSV at the midweek and he did a few weeks ago in the Premier League I forget who, who it was against but they, I remember my, my United friends on the phone were ah jeez Lingard come on how did you miss that you know but like it, it, they've added so much to their squad and they still have pretty similar problems do you know Yeah, that's that's what I see what the problem is yeah, and that's what Skulls has a problem that's what Keane has a problem with yeah you know? it's 18 months it's 300 million pounds later and it's still more or less the same problems granted the one thing they have improved on from from last year, def- I think, is defense. Oh, yeah. of course, yeah. Yeah, they were like with Tyler Blackett, and they had a couple of others. I think Paddy McNair at one stage. Johnny Evans and yeah, the they, yeah, they were really frail defensively, and um, they seem to improve that anyway. So just moving on to the other teams in in Europe, um, have Arsenal redeemed themselves just yet? No, I think it's, I think it could be too little, to go, too late. I think it's. I know they have to go over. But they have to, to win. They have no to win. Option. They have to win, but don't they have to win comprehensively as well? Do they have to put a few past them? Because it's I, I think, think it's just win and then rely on Bayern again. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least they've given themselves a chance. But you expect them to win handy enough at home to Zagreb. To Zagreb, you know that's that's one thing that uh, it, it's interesting because they did choke. They did lose to West Brom with going one up yeah. through Giroud. It's funny because. Now you finally think, you know, things are starting to turn for Arsenal. We were talking about this the other week. They, yeah. They'll lose at the weekend, then, the weekend, then beat Bayern Munich, well, and then yeah, lose again. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. Yeah. Is that a, a psychological problem, like in different competitions, or trying to put different players' preference Not in enough depth in the squad, maybe it's hard to... It's hard really to see. It's rising to not being embarrassed as well. Like, in terms of... Be- like, I think it's just that... It's that notion that if they come up against Munich and they play yeah. the way they might have played against West Brom, there's that notion that they're going to get embarrassed because I think maybe it was a couple of years ago Bayern Munich did embarrass them oh, and fairly yeah. and this year handy. again yeah. yeah yeah. so it's always they're always they've just got the inferiority complex um, which is something I think people have just, said about Arsenal a lot yeah it, it's just I don't know if it's if it's confidence or what it is they, they seem to be always kind of there or thereabouts in the league but in Europe it's just I don't know if they do it could be a confidence thing where they don't have the confidence to go up against these teams but then it's even like last year at Monaco they're more fancied to go through and they just they find ways consistently <laughs> to yeah. not do well in yeah. European oh, football if they shoot themselves in the foot but I know that they've said I it a few times I do think yeah. one of the one of their one of their saving graces is their two best players their two most expensive players Sanchez and Ozil do seem to be clicking very well together now and very well interlinking together I thought Arsenal were alright they weren't as exciting as Barcelona Barcelona were absolutely special but they weren't far off they were very the way they 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 went forward and done things and went about things up front like the the linking as you said with uh, Sanchez and Ozil was terrific Ozil could have had had one or two goals as well Sanchez could have had more it was it was really nice to see them two clicking but it's it's in the Premier League now and with injuries Coughlin now is 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 out with, with with an injury suspected and 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 Walcott has been out for a while so they they seem a bit one dimensional forward who is going to replace Cochran they've got that them problems again Ramsey's still coming back um slowly but surely it's 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 a weird one Arsenal are the mystery of of the top four Premier League sides I think you can never really predict what what's going on with them like we can we can pick the and 
pick the problems with all the other you three teams. You can predict teams. they'll come fourth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I, I, I genuinely think they are title contenders. I, and I think they're, they're more title contenders than, than Manchester United, in my opinion. And I, even though I, I kind of admire how defensively solid Manchester United are, I like, I like a good defence, but I, like, I also like how Arsenal, you know, they, they brought in Sheik. They've, they've now, they've, Kind of invested their their midfield through Coughlin, uh, a player who kind of was around the periphery for a long time, and and it's 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 it has to be admired, you know. And I hope they do well, but are they going to do well? That's the huge question, isn't it? So we'll fly through the other two English teams playing in the Champions League this week. City lost away to Juventus one nil, but they they looked like they actually cared. They played quite well. They had the all important flair, as we call it. Are they trying in Europe this season yeah. or? Is it a case of the last three seasons where they have maybe one or two good games? We all go, oh, City might actually challenge, and then yeah. oh, they, they get knocked Munich, out, yeah. and they pretend they never cared. Yeah, I think this is the thing. I think they did look more improved, and they did have they created a fair bit of chances. And even when they played Seville, they created a fair bit of chances. Like the Manchester City, they're a good, they're a good football team. Let's not <laughs> beat team. around beat around the bush. But there seems to be um, something even with the fans that the fans aren't really seen like their imagination hasn't seemed to be captured by being in the Champions League. They like being. Premier League, Premier League, yeah. Or yeah. yeah, and I think it's best team in Manchester seems to be more of a trophy be, to them well, than being the best team in Europe. Look at United for all the 1920s, like those City fans Even have had to endure yeah. a lot, a Even lot. Before, of like then Man City were in the Championship as well, you know, and then yeah. they, fight, they finally, I suppose. There is a sense of, but it does seem to be the owners. It's definitely more of an objective for the owners. It seems to be Champions League. Oh yeah, but that's why Mancini's so gone and Pellegrini's is. in as it's, well. It's like, hard as you know, don't look at PSG for years. That's been their big mantle yeah. is to win the Champions League, and they just this year they, been they, they really look like they could go far yeah, this that's, year. That's yeah. nice. steady improvements. You're dealing with such a tough competition. It's just easier said than done, you know. Yeah. And realistically, you're going to have the city while they're they're improving and their effort and even more concentrating in the Champions League. They're going to have to really if they want to win it all. They're going to have to beat one of Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Juventus, or a combination. So it's it's that's that's the challenge. And as as for Chelsea, then away to Tel Aviv, winning three nil. Uh, was that an improvement Bream again or was it an easy no, pass no uh, Jose alluded to the first 15-20 minutes of the second half when there was t- it was 10 men and the emphasis should have been pu- pushed on getting men forward and trying to get that second goal they they fell asleep he said and, and, and it was rightfully so there was a bit of a rift at half uh, about before half time between Costa and Mourinho uh, Costa had to be held back by Terry Jose said it's all good I, I assume it's all good it's just Costa being a bit frustrated with his current form and Jose wanted him to do a bit more for, for the team that's what Jose does with his players he tells them what he thinks of them and he says you need to do more for this team we've seen with Joe Cole we've seen with uh, Eden Hazard in the past you know mm. uh, I I think that putting four, putting three or four past the team is going to get a bit more it's going to bring confidence uh, absolutely massive game Sunday after last year what happened in this fixture uh, 5-3 at Spurs you know I think Spurs are a different animal this year there's something about and Pochettino has, has placed a stamp on this Spurs team but now I think Ch- Chelsea They've had their best performance against Stoke and they lost one nil away. I thought they were apps they were unlucky not to put two or three past them and, and I was just, you know, part of the season when things aren't going your way. But I think I think that things are starting to slowly turn. I'm not saying they've turned any corner yet, but they've they've, they've started they're kind of changing the, the angle around it. Yeah. yeah. The wheels are starting to become a bit in motion. Uh it's the same happened with Dortmund last year, you know, it took them nearly into we were like, When are Dortmund gonna cop on? And they eventually did. So I, I assume they are whether they're gonna get a top four, I'm I think not too this sure. Is their big, this is their litmus test really yeah. to see yeah. that if if it's gonna turn the corner or not because to start to Christmas. in fairness, should have should beat Norwich 
uh, and they did should should beat Maccabee Tel Aviv and they did handily mm-hmm. but I think Spurs especially Spurs coming off if that it was West this time last season you'd be very confident they were going to beat Spurs yeah yeah. Man. and then we've seen Harry mm-hmm. Kane Harry Kane really kind of break out scored the last night yeah, he's the new Jamie Vardy he scored last <laughs> night and he scored like twice on the weekend as well he was phenomenal um, but yeah I think this will be their big litmus test if they can get over Spurs I think Chelsea Chelsea are back and just given the way Premiership Premier League is this season it's so up and down and it's so unpredictable yeah. that if you go on any sort of a run you really can't really elevate yourself up the table like very quickly yeah well it's a credit to Spurs that we're kind of giving them uh, like we're saying if Chelsea overcome them it's a huge step for, for Chelsea because Spurs last year you know the, the, well, top, four was all, was like, the top four teams have always kind of been their their downfall in, in in a sense, but they bet Man City four one at home. I think Chelsea should be scared. They should have a small sense of uh, being afraid yeah. going to White Hart Lane because they have the, this new system. Uh, uh, Dalla Ali, you know Dembele in his new position. Eriksen mm-hmm. has always been the ever evergreen. He's yeah. a fantastic. Still uh, waiting for Son to have a really big impact. Yeah, because yeah, it's really. in him. It's. 100% oh of course we know we've seen him in, yeah, and in Germany yeah in Germany he's been terrific and he had before he got his kind of slight injury he scored and then he got injured which was kind of unfortunate that happens in sport but I think Son has, is a huge part to play in the rest of the season for Spurs so just setting the scene for a very very big Premier League game tomorrow half five King Power Stadium all eyes are going to be on one man is he going to do it yeah, against they, the meanest defence in England at the moment um, <laughs> Michael Carrick you mean <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Vardy of course <laughs> yeah. I, think th- I think he can do it I think he can get the goal because the the pace in Manchester City's defence is not is not United's down the middle in, in United's defence yeah in United's defence it's not down the middle it's down the wings and Vardy doesn't really he kind of plays in through the in between defenders in, in the alleyways uh, central in front of the box but uh uh, I I don't think you know Schweinsteiger whoever starts Schneider has the pace to keep up with him if he's gonna if they're gonna play in front of him and then Smalling and and whoever is the accompanying player with Smalling they have the pace to catch him. Uh, but then again, the mean defense of Manchester they United. Might just play deep. It might they might just play deep and they should. That's it's one thing I would be telling my yeah. United team if I was the manager. But say from a Leicester perspective going into this game, you're top of the league. Yeah. You're doing way better than anybody ever could have hoped you were gonna do. There's no real pressure from other than trying to get Jamie Vardy to score, yeah. because no, but I don't think anybody's going to turn around to Leicester now if they lose this match and say, "Jesus, lads, that's not really on." Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you sacks still, the manager. You still almost expect that with United, though. Even if, even though Leicester are at the top of the table, like if they lose to Leicester, it's going to be still a disappointing result. I think we're just waiting for this Leicester bubble. Do you think? Yeah, Jamie I think Vardy their attitude. Like, I think their attitude isn't going to be right for this game because <laughs> it's almost definitely from a fan perspective. You'd nearly rather watch Leicester lose five one and see Jamie Vardy score that goal yeah. than win one nil. Well, Oh, scores, you know? last, time, last time they went to the King Power Stadium as well. We've got to remember last year the when Di Maria announced himself yeah. with that fantastic big goal. Game. United yeah. went off five shots nails, on target, five goals. Oh, and Vardy played, yeah. played exceptionally well in that game. So he's, he's caused trouble like, for this United team before. Um, and now I don't think I'd love to see a five-three game again. I don't think it. I don't think it will. I think. I think Leicester are going to come out and play this exact same way yep. they've tried to play all season. Do you think and they think won't? You don't think they might scupper themselves, kind of trying to force one man to score no. a goal? No, no. I think I think Ranieri no, has I a professionalism it's... about him. I I, I admire Ranieri. Yeah. I, he was a Chelsea manager, but he's been everywhere. He's been around the block. He's the only poor spell of managerial 
uh, spell was with uh, was with Greece in his last in his last campaign. Did you hear? Did you hear his interview last week? No, I didn't. What, what, I'm not around the area now, Vardy. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> have yeah. a listen to it here yeah. now. I'll just play it to you. Obviously, cheers, boys. Wouldn't have been able to do it without all here, but um, the gaffer just said that he's going to put some beers on the coach in the plane. So we've got a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I've got one stat here. Jamie Vardy has averaged 1.2 goals per game this season with 4.2 shots on average per game. Cristiano Ronaldo has averaged 1.5 goals a game this season with 7.1 shots per game. That's just a a goal every 1.5 games. So can we officially say that he is above Ronaldo currently on the European European spectrum of greats that's what we're going by of course I'm waiting for this Ballon (laughs) d'Or hey if he keeps going you just never know because he's he's record breaking being classed in in a in a in a thing with Van Nistelrooy you know in a a record. Did we mentioned that, like, if, like, okay, let's just put the Ballon d'Or talk aside, yeah. <laughs> just for one moment. Let's just kind of. Am I getting ahead of myself you, here? Maybe, or? yeah, slightly. Oh, my bad. Slightly, but just to be mentioned in the same breath as Ruud van Nistelrooy when it comes in talks of goal scoring, yeah, the former Fleetwood Town striker. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. From non-league to the top of the league, basically, it's it, it's actually like truly remarkable in terms of sports stories go. But he's always. He's always had this just tenaciousness with how he yeah. plays. He's just he's physical. He's attacks. He's fast. He's that's how he come from his background. Yeah, and he's just and he finishes. And that's the thing. What we're seeing this season, we're just seeing an improved and a more composed but finisher. Should, uh, I remember uh, I said this before. Charlie Nicholas in a, in a soccer Saturday saying, "I'd like to see goals in his game. He's fast as anyone in the Premier League, mm-hmm. he, and he can hold up a ball as well. He and he has a bit of physical. He's tenacious, as you said." But with goals was game, and now he's being compared with Cristiano Ronaldo in terms John of goals scored. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's it's terrific for it's uh, like this is the underdog story that we all love. Uh, we, that's why we're talking about it now. It's just special, and and I hope he keeps going because it's it's. But I don't think Leicester are going to change their the way they're going to play just to get him this accolade. I think if they beat Manchester United, that's a fi- another back to back in two years at home. That's going to be as famous as yeah, Jamie Vardy. Yeah, and they've just more than them. You know, there's Myraz, there's Inler, there's Matty James. There's there's some yeah. good players in oh, the Leicester course. team. Like let's let's not like just not it's and not just let's hump it up the body and hope for the best. It's, like it's it's a more definitely a more the team has a lot more composure and continuity. Yeah, of course, but that's why it's for. not going to be a five three. I hope I like I hope it is, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's going to be five three because Leicester aren't conceding goal as as much goals as well. You know, there mm-hmm. there's going to be two defenses that are going to put out their stall and they're going to say, look, you're not getting past me. The Leicester are going to look at the forward attacking options of Manchester United and say, you don't really scare me, Rooney's. You know, you are a big name. We all know who you are, like, but you're not playing your best. Martial isn't there, you know. So, uh, it could easily be a nil all. I hope it's not, but uh, I don't think there's going to be many goals scored in it. So anyway, where where it seems Leicester and Vardy have come right from the bottom all the way to the top. Another man seems to be going from the top all the way down to the bottom, and that's Jack Grealish. He's been dropped. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't really call. Aston Villa the dizzying heights of the, of the top of the Premier League I think League, it's as dizzying a height when you're in contention to get an England place yeah, yeah. you know he he had it all there a couple of months ago and now yeah, yeah. well it, yeah he had it all he had the world at his feet um, you know he, he he had the I wouldn't say the audacity but he had the balls <laughs> basically to turn down Martin O'Neill for an international cap in holding out for an England one and fair enough his choice his decision Seemed to be when he's going on that fantastic FA Cup run, you know, he was he was an instrumental part, and you know he, he de- definitely within his rights to, to withhold his international future. But it's just, I suppose, new managers come in really trying to stamp out and probably change a lacking culture 
in Villa. Um, now, whether you whether you you want to be of the opinion that you say if someone loses four 0 they should go home and sit and cry and and whip themselves basically, you yeah. know, or or they can go out and drink, you know. What kind of do you think he's within his rights to go out and have a I few think, yeah. beers after losing four yeah. 0 Do you I, think it sends a bad message as a professional? I'm in that opinion. It depends what kind of culture that's going on in Aston Villa. If the players are in like an active, we're not drinking until we get out of the the, the relegation zone or whatever yeah, if the you culture. You score ten is, goals in a row, you yeah, can have beers on yeah, the bus, but yeah, can you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we see the differences in Leicester. Look at Leicester winning. They're embracing it's like, it. Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. The manager said there'd be a, a couple of uh, beers on the bus <laughs> in the plane. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like Villa, struggling club, new manager. A manager that is probably trying to win the, uh, you know, win the dressing room, so to say, and he's probably look. You got like one of their bright young players, and you got to send a message like, "Is this acceptable?" And we're going out and losing. So I get both yeah. sides. You know, I get. So the do you think it's possible that like Grealish is being the scapegoat here, who might not yeah, necessarily? Yeah, a little more, bit because yeah, I don't think it's more of a Jack Grealish. I think it's more of a scapegoat Aston Villa thing. Remy Gard said it is common for footballers to stay in the city overnight of where where they've played. You know, the night before. And let's be honest, Liverpool is a fun town. Like it is. It's it's a fun <laughs> oh, town. Look, yeah. I um, think the whole thing is you can have your drink, but don't get caught. You know, don't yeah. get caught in the tabloids bringing more negative attention to Aston Villa with a team which fairness, seems to be destined for the drop we've said that with teams like Leicester as well but they, and they've escaped it but it looks like there's not there's a morality that issue there that they, they don't know they don't have that Leicester kind of found out of nowhere yeah. you know last year it's so. unfortunate because he wasn't like he wasn't play acting he wasn't up he wasn't like grabbing bottles and going crazy yeah. like he was just he was there at the yeah. nightclub do you know what I mean yeah exactly like, that's that's what I, I like he is a skateboard in a sense in, in that way I think Remy Gard has to come into this club and stamp his authority I think every manager should do that they shouldn't be playing under like the attitudes and the beliefs of a previous manager and, and I think he kind of has to set an example that you know this has to stop we have to change things we can't be showing Aston Villa Football Club in a negative light and uh, he might be right in that sense. It's a it's a tough one, but uh, a lot of Irish fans will be happy that this is happening to Jack Grealish, which I don't think is fair. I think Jack Grealish is a fantastic footballer. He's the right to pick whoever he wants. If he doesn't feel like he should be playing for Ireland, I don't want him to wear the green jersey if he's not going to put in a hundred percent. You know. Yep. Okay, we'll just do a quick fire of all the other Premier League games. We'll try last through these, but three o'clock on Saturday, Bournemouth at home to Everton. I'd have to fancy Everton in this one. I just think just too much, too much firepower, too much. I think they're just the better side, just in general. I don't think I, I think just think goals will be the big problem for Bournemouth. No, I, I no, I, I think Bournemouth are scoring goals. The two all against Swansea last week is just an example of that. Uh, I I kind of question both defenses. I know Everton got a clean sheet, four uh, 0 at, at the at the weekend, but. Uh, I think there's going to be goals. It's going to be a goal fest, unless some people might say there's going to be cancelling out of. Uh, Can anyone two stop attacks. Lukaku and Kone at the moment? Exactly, and yeah. and Barkley as well. Uh, Barkley seems to be finding his. There was always questions last year: should he be defensive centre midfielder attack? And he's kind of found his little slot. Even on the left, he he kind of goes and ventures out. But I'm going to say it's going to be a two-one to Everton. Aston Villa home to Watford. Oh, uh, jeez, yeah, well, what a Mount Watering prospect this one is. Um, <laughs> I'll probably take Watford in this one. Too. I think I'm going to go I just for think it's Villa's just, just, it's just a height. There's a bit more work to do. Moment. Yeah, I just think, I just don't think Villa is a stable side at the moment. I think there's just, there's just, like, the Grealish dropping did prove to be an even bigger distraction than what it, like, it should have been. And I just don't think, um, even though they're playing at home, I fancy Watford in this one. These bottom of the table clashes tend to be tight encounters you know they are the, the six pointer we had Chelsea and Norwich last last week at the, with the six pointer at the bottom near the bottom end of the table but uh, uh, I'm going to go with a draw be just because the fact that 
Watford might be kind of uh, heartbroken after the way they lost to Manchester United. I know, especially Troy Deeney. Yeah, and and and, way to end and and it, this is a test of Aston Villa's character. You've lost, f- <clears throat> you've gotten four passes in the last game uh, to Everton, and now you're you're about you're you're going into a huge game at the bottom of the table. If you pick up three points and they don't pick up any, that's huge for them. So that's an incentive that I think they could embrace. So Pardew's Palace at home <coughs> to Newcastle United. <laughs> it's an interesting one. Oh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's one that uh, you're gonna have one eye on anyway. It's, it's Joe and Kabai's first game against Newcastle. Yeah, right? uh, do you think he's gonna get a good response back there, uh, in front of? Yeah, Newcastle I think he's fans? still well liked. I think all the resentment held is more that Pardew got him and McLaren didn't. Yeah, but going back to the results, uh, Newcastle aren't in great shapes at the minute. They're not. They're they've lost. They've they lost their last game three 0 to Leicester at and home as well. At home in front of the fans, you know. Um, which, yeah. But Palace seem to kind of they drop points to Sunderland, which you weren't expecting. They they lost to Sunderland at, at home, so yeah. that's that's a tricky one. I don't know, but I'm gonna have to go with Palace just because of the quality that they have, and and not, and Newcastle don't seem to be making any shapes at the minute, which yeah. is kind of weird. You think they'd kind of have a backlash? Yeah, yeah. I just think between like Zaha and Balassi and Kabay, I think they have just too much up front just for for Newcastle to deal with. Probably have proven to be quite frail defensively this season. Uh, Man City home to Southampton. Really good game, I think. Yeah, 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 really actually one that I'm looking forward to and I think should actually be some great attacking football. I'm actually going to be licking the wounds from the last of Liverpool name. What guess is up front for Southampton? Mr. Shane Long. Yeah, starting. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. Uh, Fonts has come out and said he's probably going to be starting and he, he thinks it's going to work well. Brilliant. Southampton have been kind of inconsistent in a weird way. You know, mm. they, they, they're not going on any w- w- weird run that they went on the last two years with Pochettino and Coleman respectively, you know. Mm. Um, but now maybe with a different man up front, uh, Shane Long gives them something different. They might just click something that hasn't been clicking in the last few games. But Man City's lost their last two games. They have to kind of. I think it definitely has to be a back bounce back game for them. But there's been nothing that I've seen in the games that's really said okay City you're going to think but the return of Aguero which you, I think yeah, is, you can is never quite, write off any team that has Aguero yeah he's front. just like even in that Liverpool game the it one could be City's under 12 so plus Aguero yeah yeah you give them a chance yeah yeah, yeah definitely more more or less Um, so I, I do think I'm probably going to go with a 2 all draw I'm hoping to see some great attacking football I think it's going to be 3-1 Man City, Man City. Sunderland Stoke Sunderland Stoke Sunderland off a win 1-0 uh, Defoe is kind of questionable with his ankle and Stoke yeah, like Stoke have been playing very well yeah, yeah I'd probably have to go with Stoke in this one as well um, I think a 1-0 probably away win for Stoke you don't yeah. think Sunderland will get any momentum from their win away on Monday night no I think it's more to do with like a, a Defoe kind of a, a, a Defoe bit of luck I suppose more than anything um, just opportunism from Jermaine and which he's made a career out which of which he's made a career out of yeah. yeah no doubt no doubt but like it's it's. I just think yeah, Sunderland still need to really probably show me that they're that they're really kind of gelling, I suppose. On the yeah, 1-0 really away to Palace, surprising, but not yeah. really stamping anything into my mind that makes no. them kind of... Not no. a fluke, but it was just one of the results that you might expect maybe come every good few games that you're going to get a surprise, you know? Yeah, so we've already talked United-Leicester, so I'll just get a quick score prediction. Uh, with United-Leicester, I'm going to go a 2-1 win at home for Leicester. One all, kind of staying. Uh, one all, one all. I think. Oh, very bold. Yeah, mm. no, I th- not even a stay, staying with staying with be more just, nil all. But back, I just I can't back United to go and beat them. I just don't have after the last confidence. Year. Yeah, yeah, after last year, after during the week, I just don't have the confidence that yeah. United are going to mm. go there, create chances, and score goals. So Spurs and Chelsea, we've talked a bit about this as well. 
more great you like game. That? This is a tough one. Mm. I think um, I'm going to have to go probably Spurs too. I think Spurs are really coming into some really good yeah. form and are playing well. Kane scoring goals. I have goals. to agree with you. Yeah. yeah, and I just don't think Chelsea, I think it's a big test for them and I certainly think they're always capable. Of course they are, yeah. Um, even with the ba- bad start of the season and everything, they still at the end of the day, I still think talent prevails over everything. And uh, but I just don't think they have the confidence yet to go and really go to White Hart Lane and come away with a demanding victory. Two uh, one Chelsea. If John Terry starts, John Terry's been question questionable. I've seen his Instagram today. He's in this kind of hydro bath jogging on his his ankle is Adam as well. He mm-hmm. he picked up an injury, but uh, if he, he's he's a he's a different animal to our center, our back line, you know Zuma. As good as a centre back he is, he kind of needs a kind of a babysitter to kind of tell him what to do and whatever, because he kind of does some brash things sometimes. He's a bit of David young, Louise. Yeah. he's still young, so mm. I expect that from him. But I like to see, I like to see John Terry in the back line. I think that uh, the nil, the two clean sheets, although against Norwich and Tel Aviv, uh, it's still going to have some confidence and bring some confidence to that back line, which has been questionable. But uh, I think Chelsea have to win, and I think they are going to win. Uh, West Ham, West Brom. <coughs> oh, this one. Um, West Brom after two one uh, turnaround against Arsenal, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I probably have to go West Brom. West Ham looked very average against um Spurs. against Spurs. Yeah, yeah. They they were just kind of played off the pack. I do like Kowate for um West Ham. I think he's he's a cracking player. And they do have look at me. Like I think I think just the loss of Pay has just really been like a big. It's been a massive. Kind of lost I think he's been in top three team. players of the season yeah, in definitely. the Premier League, and it's just a huge loss yeah. for them. I think like Lanzini is impressive as well. Um, I think I think yeah, West Brom just have too much from them in this one. Uh, obviously, just riding high off after the Arsenal win. Uh, just because they're at home, I think they it, uh, they came out and said that they 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 tactically got, got it wrong away to Tottenham. I think at home they have more of a thing in their mind of what they're going to do and how they're going to play. Pay is a big loss. Uh, I think I'll go one all draw again. Yourself, Jack. Um, I'm probably going to go a one nil win for the baggies. Right, so Liverpool Swansea. Uh, yeah, I think Liverpool. Yeah, I think definitely riding high probably after the Bordeaux win, even though it was a bit. The second half was probably a fairly a very dull affair. Um, I think they're really clicking on their club. They really have a bit more of a sense of belief. They press high. They attack well. They've confidence to go and attack. Um, and I think it's it's another opportunity. I'm just going to be interested to see what they do with regards to Benteke if he's going to be promoted to the starting lineup, and they might play Coutinho, Lalana, and Firmino off him, or if they're just kind of probably going to go with Firmino as a false nine. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But yeah, I'd, after recent form and recent results, we're given the City last weekend and Bordeaux of the week. I'm going to have to go with Liverpool. There's a confidence there that with Liverpool, they they they're back kind of well, after that result. That that I think that kind of has repercussions to the, until Christmas anyway. I think there's going to be a confidence that lifts them into Christmas with good results. Swansea have proven a torn in their side. They have beaten a few times cup games as well. Uh, even at Anfield, I think they've gotten a result or two there. So, but it's not going to be an easy by anything and by any means. But I think again the same result as last night, two one to Liverpool. And last but not least, Norwich Arsenal. Arsenal uh, at Carrow Road. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Arsenal. I think after that performance in the week, I think it's hard to go by them. Um, just too much. Norwich are going to be under the pump for the whole game, and I just think defensively, I just don't think they'll be able to hold up for an entire ninety yeah. minutes. I I agree. Um, Norwich could have easily picked up a point. They could have easily lost five 0 to Chelsea last week. Uh, Arsenal, you know, they they had a swagger about them at midweek. But then again, the big question is, can they do it back to back from midweek to weekend? You know, but 
Uh, Norwich have been kind of weak in terms of putting it up against teams. They have Nathan Redmond and they have Wes Hoolan and they, they they have they have their few good good decent good players going. Yeah. But I I I worry for them in the back line, uh, especially against Arsenal's just brutal attack. You know mm. they, they they're very good when they're good. They are good. You know. Yeah. So I'm going to say two 0 Arsenal. All right, let's move on to the rugby. Okay, so moving on to rugby, Leicester went down to bat on the weekend. Is that their campaign over, Jack? Yeah, it kind of looks like it's going to be very difficult because what they have to do now is they have to go to the Stade Mayor and then they have to welcome Toulon <laughs> back to Aviva Stadium. So you're basically talking about the best, too, yeah. the best European rugby club and team of the decade is going to come. We've got to beat them twice after getting hammered by Wasps and losing to <laughs> Bath. So if I had money, I would definitely not be betting on Leinster to advance, even though the players the players are confident. Is that 2 euro in your hand there, is it? Yeah, it's not going towards Leinster, put that way. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it has to. Leinster and also they're playing tonight, big game in the Pro 12. And, and a huge statement game for both teams because both teams, Leinster also got dusted by Saracens up in Ravenhill, sorry, Kingspan now. And then Leinster, uh, well, they were close and they're improved against Bath. Their forwards are very much on the fire and their pack and their scrum. Their scrum looks dreadful at the minute. So a lot of things to improve on there. And they're going to have to improve very quick. It's going to have to be a statement game for Leinster tonight because if they're going to go to the stand by all, they're going to want to go there with confidence. It was always going to be a tough group when we saw it, when we saw it on paper, you know, uh, especially with Toulon. Uh, Toulon are just... They're just terrific. They're, they're they're the team. They're kind of the Galacticos of the rugby. You know, they're they're just terrific, and you can see the kind of gap between Toulon and on other teams in this group as well. But uh, do you think Leinster's kind of their their poor performances late? Is that uh, the new managerial, like the new coach of Leo Cullen, or do you think it's more the World Cup hangover? Yeah, it's it's a mixture of both. Now, in, in fairness to Cullen, he had about he lost by four backs during the the Wasps defeat. So not all of that can be blamed on Cullen, so to speak, but. It's yeah, it's 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 leadership, and and it's what what is he gonna do now? Because you got he's he's got a lot of players, and a lot of players that you got to bear in mind that he used to play with. So he's got to make some decisions about like whether they should play on or not. Because there's guys like James Tracy coming off the bench, so you Luke McGrath, Josh Van der Fleer, he's been promoted to the starting line off the night for Lancer. So there's some cracking players coming through, and it's gonna be is he gonna ride with youth now, or is he gonna go with the players that I suppose he's played with and have been proven on an international level, but and probably Quent and probably quite performing as as to the level they should um so it's going to be a big game for them and it's going to be a big game for leinster and and both ulster but it's uh i think wasps are going to run away with that group and it's probably going to be be toulon and um and bar play for a second but you also got to consider that toulon are coming on the fire as well because toulon got just just as probably brutally um beat down by wasps as leinster did so it's going to be a big game for them so um, a lot to look forward to though with Lens and probably some very testing times that we're probably going to reveal about a lot about Cullen's coaching tenure over the next couple of weeks In general why do you think Irish clubs are struggling in the Champions Cup given how much international success we seem to have Yeah I do think it's a mixture and it's, it's probably also you do have to factor in this um, and you never really want to factor this in this with sport but the Paris attacks did actually have a huge impact on last week's Champions Cup because Ulster's trip to Ayana, who they probably would have easily beaten, in my opinion, that was called off. Um, Leinster's, I think, who else had a trip called off? I think it was there's Munster, only Munster and Ulster. Did they both Munster, had sorry, yeah, Munster uh, with Stade Francais. Yeah, um, that was called off as well. So they've they've only been one win from four games basically. Ulster went down to Saracens, Leinster went down to Wasps and Bath. And you had Munster basically winning over Bennett and Treviso, who they should, 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 should definitely win over. Um, 
So it's it's that comes into a little bit of it, but in, in terms of on the field, I, I say a little bit of woke up hangover. Yeah, yeah, you've got a, a couple of different situations, especially with probably uh, most likely Lens. So you got Sexton coming back into a back line that's very unfamiliar to him. You got to remember the last time Sexton was back in in Leinster colours, he had guys like Gordon Darcy playing outside him. He'd Brian O'Driscoll still. So it's it's it's, it's a big kind of difference now in, in that in that Leinster team and, and how they're adjusting. Um, but with regards to Munster. The, they they did win over Treviso, but it wasn't very impressive. wasn't highly impressive at all. A lot of handling errors and stuff like yeah. that. So they got to have they got to play some real heavyweights now in Leicester and Stade Francais. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how how they respond. And and versing Connacht in the top of the table this week, that's going to be a huge clash. And what are your predictions for that? Um, I believe that I say. That's a tough one because Connacht have been playing very well, um, and I do think that if they can go weather weather conditions aside, I think if they can go into Tolman Park and really kind of take it to Munster and set a good pace, it should produce a great game. And I think it's got to be a lot on the counter attack because Munster once Munster get going and one once they build some momentum, they really kind of get this kind of roll on. That's they get a trademark. Third, that's the trademark for and years and years been, and years. Has been for yep. years. But I think there's been they their executions of the basics hasn't always been where it's needed to be yeah. this year. So if if, if Connor can come in there with some great defensive intensity, turn the ball over and counter attack, shoot some guys like Henshaw and Bundyaki and and a couple of others there, it's it's that's going to be a real um I think a real strength for them. Uh, I think home field advantage is playing a huge. It's going to be a huge one for this one. Uh, Tolman Park at home to Connacht. It's it. Uh, there's also that little, un- a little bit of an underdog feeling, you know. Connacht are finally, you know, they're on top of the, the, all the other three, which doesn't happen very often in recent times and even in the history of rugby, you know. So I think Connacht have a huge test to kind of keep that stamped in, uh, keep that going. But uh, I think uh, Monster, if they get the home crowd around them, they, they, they'll always, they'll they, always put on a show. If they find their home crowd, because seems to be missing at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, I know. But a game like this now, I know against teams like from Scotland, Wales, and and all that, it, it, they might. Struggle, you know, and, and the other teams. Uh, but Do you think I, it's important for Munster to really get a decent result here, just even in an attempt to win think, back over the fans? I think it's more of a because I think it's more of a performance issue because I've been in I've been in uh, the pubs at, in in Waterford, you know, and and there's been some diehard Munster fans. We all know the Munster fans are just absolute nutcases, you know, and they've been tearing their hair out with all these handling errors and just these fundamental uh, issues. But now with the, some of the boys back from the Ireland team, I think they they. they there might be a, an example led from all these. The, well, not heroes. They didn't. They didn't uh, against France, you know. But they kind of struggled against uh, Argentina. But still, you know, these these boys that they all look up to because they're a very young team without without the Zebos, the Conor Murrays, and the likes, you know. Mm. So uh, I think that if they can stamp out these uh, issues that they have, you know, going forward, and and uh, also kind of on the counter attack, I think that they can they can have a better performance because all their games have been really really close. They haven't been they've been haven't been more than a try either way, you know. Yeah, yeah. A lot of their games, yeah, three or even less than that, and uh, which is kind of them grinding out results. You know, that's a sign of a, a good team that isn't playing at their best. So hopefully. Uh, from a monster point of view, fan, uh, I hope that they can overcome Connacht and take the top of the table spot. I've just seen here that Connacht have debuted their uh, Green Lantern rugby jersey. I'm looking at it here. What's what's your yeah, opinion? We, talk, we talked about that last night. Actually, it was it's it's basically a it's an initiative that DC Comics have taken where they've teamed up with BLK Comics kit sponsor, and they're basically going to promote the Green Lantern. Although, is that the Green Lantern, the Seth Rogen movie? I think we're talking about. Is that? I'll show you here. Now. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I can see the the jersey. Like the jersey makes sense. It's 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 a very kind of striking green, and it's probably got. Um, it's probably it'll probably flatter some of the front rowers for Connacht. Reminds me of that Italy <laughs> muscles, The muscles where muscles may not yeah. be. Um, so I think, but it's something that the, I suppose the fans and the players probably get involved because I think yeah. one of the things that John Muldoon, the captain of Connacht, said was like, "Well, yeah, do we get to keep these after?" So reminds um, me of that Italy jersey from a couple of years ago where they had the um, the Roman gladiator armor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. But um, you, I also see here the Rebels had a Superman, uh, a Superman yeah. top. That, that yeah. looks really good. Like it is. It seems like they kind of do have an. Like a, you could imagine a cape on the back of it as well, but <laughs> it is a fun side to, to rugby that I think you know it should be more more fun in sport. I, you know? I, and I also think it's a creative way of advertising. Yeah. You know, just is this movies. jersey? Are they going to be playing in this, or is it strictly a commercial thing? It. Yeah, they're going to be playing in oh, it. That's... So it's it's actually it's actually gone to the top of the pre-orders on Lifestyle Sports. <laughs> Um, so that's yeah, that's how you can tell it's a legitimate kit. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's something that looks uh, it looks quite. Appealing. I think it's it's something fun as well. Like yeah. a, I mean, to be honest, you have to give Connick fans something to cheer about over the last few years, even though this season's gone well for them. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a nice jersey, and I'm looking forward to seeing it, actually see how it because I don't think you get a real appreciation of it until you actually see the players wearing it during the game. Yeah, and just moving back to the Leinster and Ulster game, do you want to give me a p- quick prediction on that? Uh, Leinster and Ulster, I'm gonna say it's not probably gonna be a great game. I'm gonna probably go for just judging by the rain outside in Dublin anyway. Um, I'm gonna say it's probably gonna be about twenty-one twelve Leinster. Um, I think Leinster probably just gonna. Hopefully, get a try in there, but I think it's going to be a, a, a game that's going to be largely dictated by penalties. I'm going to go for Ulster. Uh, I was really impressed. They were very unlucky not to beat Munster a few weeks back, and uh, I think after the humiliation that the Leinster fans got uh, at at home to uh, Wasps, I, I think that's going to be still playing in the back of their minds. Eighteen uh, uh, sixteen, maybe. Yeah, it's going to be a close game again. I think. And what do you think about the rumours of Ian Madigan possibly moving away? Uh yeah, this is this is an interesting one to be honest because Madigan's is he's never really been able to cement his spot in either Leinster or Ireland between Jimmy Gopeth coming and Johnny Sexton and Ben Teo in the centres and he's always good he's always had competition so he I don't know if he necessarily needs I think you know I was saying to Breen last night on Action Replay the thing is is it, it, a lot of it largely depends on Robbie Henshaw if Robbie Henshaw comes to Leinster he's gonna take up that 12 spot because we know at this stage of his career in Madigan's not going to be at Johnny Sexton for either Ireland or Leinster at number 10 so if he plays it inside centre it's he can cement himself in there for Leinster and maybe at a long term shot potentially Ireland but if Robbie Henshaw's going to come there and like he's it, the it, heir to Brian yeah, yeah he's going to be he looks like he's going to be Ireland's long term 12 because Smith's yeah. plan Smith's plan is to even though even though Henshaw's ultimately capable at both centre positions uh, of course and, he is yeah and, and fullback it's going to be interesting because if Madigan could play there at 12 for Leinster and then you know play at, then they have Henshaw play 13 for outside him but then we have seen Schmidt show a, a favouritism towards Jared Payne and Luke Fitzgerald yeah. and Keith Earls it doesn't really seem like Ian Madigan fits in that centre no. picture so I think where do you see him ending up I think Harlequins um, Harlequins Connor O'Shea probably a well respected I think everyone knows him through OTE's coverage yeah. um, he's high up in English rugby and he's the director of rugby at Harlequins and Madigan's come out saying during the week that he's been a fan of Harlequins play and I, I think he would kind of definitely probably have a great shot of cementing himself as, as a starting 10 or 12 in, in for Harlequins I think he needs this just for his own sake you know he has always been se- he's been most part second string for both teams as we've been just saying I think he needs kind of him being the 
being a, a, a being forward focus figure, point, yeah, focus you know point. I mean? You know, a focal point. He he has a bit of an ego. I think we all we all could say like known as Pasha as we see him at the tears in the World Cup. You know, but I think if he for his own confidence, I think if he kind of feels that he is important at a club, I think he can revel in. It's only good for his own mm. career that he is an important player somewhere. And Harlequins are they are a huge, they're a big club. They've been struggled, you know. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a big it, club. Like you at know? the same time, Irish rugby doesn't want to lose someone like Madigan to English rugby at the same time. So yeah. well, in that way, he's from Leinster. Well, he's always played for Leinster. He's gone to school in Blackrock. He's obviously wants to play for Leinster. You know, I think if opposition, if opportunities come up at Munster, opportunities come up at Connacht, Paddy Jackson up at Ulster, I don't think that's going to happen. No. But if it, if it comes out west or if it comes down south, I think there's opportunities there for him. And I think Irish rugby, like I think he'd definitely take on Ian Keatley down in Munster, and I think he could definitely start yeah. at ten for Munster. Of course, yeah. So I think that's going to be interesting, and I think it's just going to come down to money. If and and again. We're seeing these English clubs, yeah, and we're going to see these clubs. The English clubs are offering a lot of money. So if if money's good over in England, it's probably better. And he realizes as well he's twenty six, and like we got to consider the Brian just got retired at thirty four. It's probably the pinnacle of Irish rugby. So Madigan, you know, you don't really know how long you're going to last in rugby left. So you might want to take advantage of the financial side of things while it lasts. So moving on to doping in rugby, uh, Guardian journalist Steve Hale wrote a piece this morning about the widespread doping in rugby being as common as tying your laces. Jack, what do you think of Steve Hell's comments this morning in The Guardian? He obviously has a bit of a passion in it. He basically said that it was there was a, a whistleblower that basically is a former rugby player and he's basically kind of blown the lid on it and on how the ORFU are basically are doing like 100 tests a year but they're not getting anywhere near enough into like the academy players and even the youth players coming through. It's um, true though when you think about it like because you'd have to be an idiot to think like that every single one of them is completely clean and we will never have somebody taking drugs in rugby like there has to be at least one person out there and if you can't catch him then it's probably going on a lot like there's this huge huge question marks over Kane Healy for the last oh, number of without years. a doubt yeah, yeah. Oh, Kane Healy and I think Jamie Heasley a couple of Leinster guys has been big kind of like a lot of rumours but nothing like officially reported in the papers but you're did <laughs> <laughs> you see the size of Kane Healy? Oh my god! No, there's something like there's people that are they're freaks, but then there's people that are, have made themselves to be freaks. Oh, you know? like, yeah. If he is or he isn't, he's a giant either way. Yeah. You know what I mean? but, but you know, you know, like, if, you know, if these rugby players they they hear like they hear that there's someone a whistleblower out there. Do you think they're really scared? Like, they do you think it will come out? I think like. If you're like an academy contract, because like in the academy they have like 35, 40 people in the academies, and they're only going to give out like four or five senior contracts. Mm. So I suppose they all probably think whatever gives them the competitive edge. That's what I want to find out. Does he, in his opinion, is it being supplemented through the clubs or the players and like say dealers? Are they seeking each other out? Yeah. That's what I want to kind of know. Is this yeah, like, is it an individual thing? Like I'm not doing yeah. as well as I can to impress so you're gonna go coaches, for, yeah. or is this something that's being like given to you, or mm. is available to you when mm. you go into the club? But you know the way. Okay, like Leinster definitely do it, and Munster definitely do it. But when they have underage players coming into their academies, they they do screen them each week to see like if they're following their drinking bans and if they're smoking and stuff. They find oh, all of that yeah. out. No, like, and, all, like you'll be dropped like a testing. penny if they see alcohol in mm. your blood. Like so, why but that's, isn't this? But that's the thing that is is this then supported by the clubs? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like are the clubs turning a blind eye to this? You know, obviously if the, if, if you're not against it, do you support it? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And uh, like I don't think I can't think of one Irish rugby player that's been out in the media. Yeah. Over it. No, no, I can't think. No, I can't I'm not saying it. there hasn't been. There might be someone like six or seven years ago who was on the bench for Munster that 
got tested positive or something, but I can't think of any major international that got. It's still banned, probably early days for rugby though, because it's only been professional for what twenty years, if even not even twenty years. About it started in the late ninety in the mid nineties after really the ninety five World Cup. Really, really only so like, mm. there isn't really much of an incentive to be doping, but any time before that, so no, it's probably. Well, it's not like the NFL in like the eighties where it's just like it's just like a yeah. free for all basically. Yeah. The question is, do you leave it like cycling and you wait for it all to blow up in your face before you saw it, decide you're going <laughs> to fix it, or are you going to do something about it now and just make sure that that doesn't for the head of rugby, isn't it? Yeah. That's for the head of rugby to decide because yeah. McQuaid and all these people got caught up and. But now we're going on the assumption that it is definitely <laughs> yeah. happening. Yeah, we're just waiting for this whole thing to blow up in their face. But it's always like the same every couple of months you get a report like this that'll come out and it's like it's it's kind of very much underreported by the mainstream media oh yeah and I'm, I was wondering is that because of it's like a lack of proof is there a lack of like concrete evidence I think there's a lot of legal issues If you can't just accuse everybody of being, no. being dopes like. mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're some dope like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like unless you have a failed drug test you can't really go off much can you no, not and like there'd be a lot of poor newspapers s- if they were doing that. Even soccer wasn't that much until your man for Zagreb was said, and then Wenger could actually voice his opinion about it. He he's like, I feel that there is a bit of an issue here, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's basically like mm-hmm. there is no regulation, even though there is rules and regulations to follow by, but they're not strong enough, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. unless it's obviously in your face, like yeah. Maradona. <laughs> Yeah, but Maradona up, made like no secret to hide any of his like. I think you're play. safe enough to go when it's a situation <laughs> like that, but um, you kind of have to keep suspicion to yourself, really. Yeah. Look at how much money Lance Armstrong made out of basically just suing people who call. Yeah. yeah. Tried to call him out. Yeah, he made a lot. He all those. He made so much money by the time he was caught. Like he yeah. was already a well-established multi-multi-millionaire. He ruined yeah. people's lives. You know, you know how I, mean, I said about well, Katie Hopkins being the biggest con artist. That's sorry, maybe maybe he was just a bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I definitely think like because especially with the whole cancer thing, he was such an inspiration. Yeah. with his book and stuff like that to a lot, a lot of people. So when it kind of all got like when it kind of been found out that he'd been lying like repetitively and consistently for a, at least a good ten years. Yeah. Kind of definitely took away a lot of the limelight off him. He he, he kind of still maintains that his biggest regret is kind of getting caught. Like you know, that's the bit, the, yeah, the bit that, that I. He, it's not that he did it; it's that he got caught. I really uh, like that's the bit. I was always kind of I I felt a bit lenient towards Armstrong. I know he lied and lied and lied, but the whole thing ever like he was just the winner. You know, the mm. the winner of twenty six or twenty seven people who were on it. You know, I was always like that until he gave a BBC interview where he basically said. I shouldn't have got caught. So we've got an interview with Steve lined up here now, and I'm just going to pass you over to Jack O'Toole, who's going to ask the first few questions. Hello, Steve. How are you? Thanks very much for joining us. So we have Steve Howell on the line with us, a uh, a sports journalist based out of Cardiff, Wales. And I suppose we're calling Steve today just in relation to his article today in The Guardian um, with regards to widespread use of steroids as much of part of rugby's culture as tying your laces, Steve. Yes, I think I put put the word almost in front of that, but it is... Definitely, we're not talking about, I don't think, a, a, a minority thing. We're talking about something that's very widespread. Uh, and it's not just me that's saying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Daniel Spencer Tonks, the, the lad who was interviewed on the BBC documentary, who's a band uh, player, said it's, it's very widespread. And um, I think it's a, a big challenge for, for rugby to try and sort it out. 
Steve, is this one of the most underreported issues in sport? Because I suppose we've seen it played out over and over again in cycling and athletics, but rugby has always seemed to fly under the radar when it comes to doping and steroid use, I suppose, to, as big probably international players failing tests. We haven't really seen too much of it. Yeah, I mean, there's two things. One is that I think with sports like athletics, rugby, uh, uh, sorry, with sports like athletics, steroids can have a, a significant impact on the outcome of on the actual results because obviously success in, say, the 100 metres is measured in hundreds of a second. You know, that's what differentiates someone who wins a medal from someone who doesn't. Um, whereas in rugby, because it's a team sport, uh, the, the effect on of steroids on the sport is is not so clear cut. Um, obviously, it has affected the sport, sport because you can see with your own eyes, players are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you know it's affecting the way the whole game is played. But it doesn't actually necessarily influence a specific result directly. So that's, I think, one of the reasons why it hasn't been, uh, you know, to the forefront in terms of controversy. Um, but in, in, in terms of the health of the players, the risks they're taking with their health, those that, that use steroids, um, are, are considerable. And, you know, in, middle, in midlife, many of them are going to face heart problems and, and other health issues. Mm. I suppose we've seen steroids. I mean, the, the health problems and associated risks with taking steroids have been well documented for years. But I suppose with young players, especially academy players that are probably budding for contracts, how do you discourage players who are budding for club contracts to not use steroids when the competition is so fierce? I suppose if in their mentality, if they can get away with it by and large. Well, you have to have a, a sort of multi, multi-pronged approach to this. You can't just target particular groups and you can't just do it by testing and, and no other m- methods. But I do think that uh, testing has got to be introduced at younger ages. I, I, I think that it's... It's at younger ages where, and I'm talking about very young now, I'm talking 15, 16, mm-hmm. even 14, where the pressure begins to kick in uh, on these young players to, to bulk up and make, and make it. Um, and, and that's where they're most at risk because they're not even fully grown. And I mean, even doing weight training without steroids when you're not fully grown is, is not a particularly good idea. So right at the heart of this is the, is the issue of protection of, of, of young uh, juveniles, young young people um uh, but but you need a comprehensive approach i mean if you don't uh, eliminate it at the older age groups if you don't have comprehensive testing the older age groups then you um you, you know you don't uh you, you don't stamp it out at that level and that means that the younger people are going to look up look up ahead of them and say well they're they're on steroids why shouldn't we use them I mean, and the thing is, you need out-of-competition testing, you need random testing, um, you need, players need to feel, at at the elite levels, they need to feel that they could be tested at any time and multiple times a year, so that it's not worth taking the risk. Because everybody knows with steroids, you can have on-periods and off-periods, and it can get out of your system relatively quickly. So some players, if they think they're only going to be tested once in in a blue moon, maybe once every couple of years or something, they'll take a chance on it. And, and so the testing has to be more rigorous. But I think also the education about the health risks has to be much more hard-hitting than we're seeing at the moment. And that's why in my article, I talk about this campaign in the United States, All Me, APED Free, mm-hmm. which, you know, elite players are joining in with, along with 
uh, community groups and educators and young people and so on. Um, just with steroids aside, do you think rugby is over-reliant on supplements and painkillers, especially from a young person point of view? Over-reliant on painkillers? And supplements, body, like legal bodybuilding supplements. Yes, I mean, you know, there's, there's evidence to suggest that, 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 you know, using these supplements is in itself a health problem because the protein is so concentrated and it can, uh, you know, it, 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 it can cause you other health problems. I mean, you can get the protein you need from just having a good diet. Um, so, um, and, and, you know, likewise, you know, using painkillers, is is going to mean that you're taking more risk with your body because you're you're you know you're covering up the pain is telling you the pain is your body telling you you've got a problem <laughs> and you need to listen to that mm. um so you know it's the, the problem is in all sports and this is not just rugby i mean arsene wenger's highlighted the fact that there are issues in football as well and we know about athletics and cycling and so on there's so much money in sport now that, that creates a pressure to, uh, to, to for on people to make it because the the stakes are so high. And if you're living in a you know a, a, a poor community where you haven't got much opportunity, many opportunities in life, then you're going to think, well, uh, you know, I'll take a risk. I'll uh, I'll take a risk with my body uh, if it means I can be a millionaire. You know, mm. and, um, and 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 that's the worry. Um, so I think that it's the onus is on those who are making lots of money out of sport to in, to be forced somehow by the governing bodies of sport or even by the government to invest a large chunk of that money in uh, anti-doping and in the protection of young people coming into sport. It's their responsibility. I mean, these these um, uh, American uh, financial institutions who are buying up premiership clubs. They're not doing it for the good of their, out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing it because sport is very profitable. And we need to make sure that some of that money is reinvested in this, uh, this problem, mm. tackling Steve, this problem. Steve, just from your knowledge, um, with regards to the steroids, and particularly in rugby, in your opinion, from what you've gathered, is this a, a club problem or is this on the players? Are players actively going out and seeking steroids or is it available through their clubs and academies? Well, my exp I can only speak for the research I've done and the experience I've got, and, and I'm not pretending that I know everything about how this works. But, but my experience is that in local gyms in South Wales, uh, there are steroids readily available for people who are using them, not just for sport, but for people who are using them to, to you know, to, to do bodybuilding so that they look, you mm. know, they look good on a Friday night. Um, and and therefore, you know, if you're a young person just coming up in rugby, uh, it's not difficult to get your hands on steroids. And therefore, I mean, I have heard stories about coaches uh, abusing their position and handing out steroids to, to young kids. But uh, I don't I don't personally think that that's the main channel. And I don't think it needs to be because they're so readily available um, in gyms. And in fact, you know. I think the police have got questions to answer here, and I, in in my novel, I have a character who's involved in all this, who's who's a police officer. Um, but you know, I've spoken to people in the police force, and 
about why the police don't do more about this, because everybody knows the, the gyms where the steroids are being peddled. Um, and the answer I got, and this was from someone pretty senior in the police, uh, was, uh, well, you know, me, me, many of them will be on steroids themselves, or many of them will be using those gyms. Oh, wow. So you know, it's a huge cultural uh, issue uh, across society. And if the police themselves are turning a blind eye to it, then uh, we've got, you know, real problems. Steve, we've seen we've seen this problem, obviously, with athletics cycling. Now it's creeping into rugby, soccer. We've seen it in baseball in America, a huge problem over there. It seems like it's this parasite that keeps on spreading. Is this an epidemic that we should be more concerned about? Are, are we all being naive as sports fans and sports critics? Well, I think there has been a fair amount of naivety. I think there's been a fair amount of burying your heads in the sand of people just simply not wanting to face it. I mean, all, all of us, um, you know, all of us are passionate about sport and we don't want, uh, you know, it's depressing, frankly. Um, I mean, as someone who's, uh, you know, I haven't played much rug- rugby uh, um, myself, but i am been heavily involved in other sports and I've competed in athletics and I'm passionate about sport generally. And, you know, when I see uh, stories coming out about, you know, uh, doping in athletics, for example, as someone who particularly follows that and goes along to a lot of the major championships and that sort of thing, it's very depressing. And you, 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 to some extent, you want to just sort of turn away from it and uh, pretend it's not there sometimes. I mean, all of us, you know, uh, have had that feeling about it. But I think it's got to the stage now where denial is 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 actually part of the problem and you know we, we've all got to face up to this uh and it's too serious and too many risks are being taken by too many young people for us for us not to really tackle it just before we let you go steve we noticed from your twitter profile you're a liverpool fan did you happen to watch the game last night <laughs> actually i didn't because uh, I, I'm in the midst of moving house, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's absolutely crazy at the moment. So I was uh, I was humping boxes and um, uh, driving back and forth. Uh, so I missed it, unfortunately. Well, you, you did read... you watch it? Was it a good game? It was. It was a good first half. The second half wasn't very the best, but uh, they could have Christ... done with a few steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Christian Benteke, <laughs> Christian Benteke seemed to be on fire. Scored a very good goal, but and I think it was a continuation. Probably not as impressive as they were against City, <clears> but it was was you know is another win for Klopp. Is this? Uh, what are your impressions of Klopp and his? I suppose the start of his reign. Well, you know, I I was I was always a big fan of. Brendan Rodgers. I think Brendan Rodgers was a really good manager, very intelligent, very thoughtful, and uh, I liked the way he approached football. Um, and I think he was beginning to create a very strong young squad there, a lot of really talented, very young players who were coming into the squad. And um, uh, I think it's just a shame he wasn't given a bit uh, a, a bit more time. But um, but having said that, you know, we are where we are. And, you know, Klopp seems to have this kind of larger-than-life character that kind of motivates some players more than Rodgers' quieter uh, approach. And, um, you know, as a Liverpool supporter, I hope he is successful. Steve, thanks very much for joining us. For those who are listening, uh, you can follow Steve at From Steve Hell. You can read his piece in The Guardian. Very insightful piece, and I suppose, on doping in rugby and, and the widespread use of steroids. And you can also, I think you can, is it 
your novel Over the Line. It's available at Over Steve. Over the Line, yes. It's Steve, on Amazon. Amazon and steve-hale.com. Steve, thanks very much for joining us and, and good, lucky, good luck with your movie house. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Cheers. Thanks, Steve. See you now. Okay, moving on to the back pages segment. Our favourite segment, yeah. Did you hear the big, big transfer news today? Lionel Messi is in talks over a 800k oh, a week yeah. Manchester City move. Oh yeah, where does he sign? Who would have thought? <laughs> Financial fair play the, once again. Seems the son to even the has a picture of him in a Manchester City uh, shirt, waving his be, arms then. about, <laughs> with similar tattoos to Sergio Aguero's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, but like, even if that was true, which I think we can all say it's. It's not true. Even if it was true, it's not going to be that figure of money because... Jack O'Toole's taking the two euro back out of his pocket now. <laughs> Absolute tripe. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. It's just not happening. Where does financial fair play stand of things like that going yeah, on? Like, where do they get that story from? Because Man City have, like, as Jose Mourinho has said, like, it seems like they're not really fully compliant, but FIFA doesn't care about this financial fair play, you know? So, and did you hear the other news? about uh, who's going to be managing Manchester City when Messi does move. Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola. Oh, that's yeah. more feasible that he's going to be managing, he's going to be future manager of Manchester City, you know? Like, he's, he, you might get a blank canvas for him over there to... Cause well, I think with Pellegrini's struggles, it's probably going to be a little bit more... It could potentially be a Pep coming in. It's this type of move that City, you'd expect City almost to make. Ancelotti as well, maybe yeah, as well, yeah. yeah. You know, it's the type of big splash Guardiola that, that you'd expect him to but make. But Messi to... to so no. Can we just stop with these yeah. like Every year... Actually, it's I hate like the segment. It's, it's United, <laughs> it's City. It's just, it's just not happening. Like I, we know it this day. You know what my favourite thing about this one is? Is that the Sun have already posted up an article going how Manchester City could line up next season under Pep Guardiola. Oh, yeah, stop, please. Just, like, oh. just talk about jump the gun. So you in in goal we have Joe Hart, you've Tlishi, Otamendi, Company, Alves, oh, Torre. Yeah. So so far it's pretty much all this, the the current city team we have except Alves. Yeah. <laughs> Pogba, De Bruyne, Aguero, Sterling, and Messi up front. Oh. So they've kind of combined their two stories into about five different articles. Yeah. <laughs> Fair play to them. Like they they got a lot from that, but. Oh, head shake, head shaking yeah, stuff. It's just, it's just. I uh, like. Why do people buy that paper? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like why do they do? It's only a euro, but uh, like you get a euro for a can of Pepsi or something or a can yeah. of Coke as well. Like it's more worthwhile, you know. Economics is all up there. It just, it just actually like makes football fans like like dumber in a way. Do you know what I mean? Because then you have people that will legitimately going around. Oh yeah, like City's going to have Alves, Pogba, and Messi. And the- <laughs> We're going to win the champ. It's like no. It's not happening. No. <laughs> like, it's just not. No, I, I, I but uh, well, you just can't help reading them. No, yeah. you can't. But They're go, brilliant. Going back to the manager situation that we were on about earlier, you know, the that the, it seems that the only the owners want some European success. You know, it doesn't seem like the fans like. But if Pellegrini goes, that obviously could happen. You know. Mm. So moving on to the next story, we'll get away from that. And this <laughs> is that we've I've actually got a true story for you now. No. Forty bad boy Danny Simpson stunned onlookers by turning up to do community service in a humble charity shop oh. at the wheel of his two hundred thousand pound Lamborghini. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, right, that's nothing, nothing this, screams bad boy like charity work. Is this yeah. so, oh, it's community service? Oh, community mind service. All oh, right, yeah. 
He doesn't do charity work for free. <laughs> That's even worse. But yeah, just uh, the middle finger up, you Danny know. Danny Simpson with his own free will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do? It, was he was he one of your favorite players back in back I in the day? Never had a no. I never had a moment for Danny <laughs> Simpson. Driving a Lamborghini. He was always expendable. And the millionaire Leicester City ace cheekily saved himself any parking charges by leaving his motor in a pub car park, which is supposed to be for customers only. (laughs) (laughs) One local resident said, you'd think he'd show a bit of humility, but instead he rolls up in one of the world's most expensive cars. It's no wonder Premier League footballers get such a bad name. (laughs) (laughs) True. He's true, yeah. Like you hear Ronaldo crash in his car, it's... Maserati or whatever it is you hear all these yeah. even transfer deadline day they drive it in and out Cadillacs Land Rovers all these beautiful cars but if you have the money for a Lamborghini why oh, can't you, you drive one park one oh, in yeah. that situation of course it's okay you know drive to work but community service that's just rubbing your face to face <laughs> and it's the normal people <laughs> exactly, you know yeah. and they even they even followed up on the uh, on the whole uh, <laughs> free parking thing by calling them Penny Pinching Simpson told the son, I didn't know I had to pay. I've got no comment. I thought it was free. <laughs> uh, no comment for me. Penny, penny Pinching Danny Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, uh, I, that's, it just gets from bad to worse there, doesn't it? Oh, brilliant. After being convicted of throttling his ex-girlfriend and mum to his three-year-old daughter, Steph Ward, in June. So... Apparently, like you're getting community service for that, but you know, parking in parking in the pub car park for customers oh, that's, only. That's, the that's what yeah. gives yeah. Premier League footballers such a bad name. God that's... damn you, Danny Simpson. <laughs> whatever about whatever about throttling his ex girlfriend. I'd love to see Don't the person that complained there. as well. Like, like, the person packed the pub, like, oh yeah, this Lamborghini took my spot. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> Oh, you have a few facts for us. <laughs> I have a few funny Premier League stats this season. Going to see if you can guess them. So, right, who do me. you think is the most dispossessed player in the league, on average, losing the ball from his feet four times per game? Fabregas. <laughs> Fabregas probably would have said getting the getting a few. Um, He's been mentioned quite a bit in this podcast, actually. It'd have to be someone that's consistently attacking, you'd think. You'd, you'd have to say be more of an attacker. Um, was it mentioned in this podcast? Uh, Vardy? It isn't Vardy, is it? It's not Vardy. Oh, no, you I would have Sterling. assumed there would have been a, a, striker, a striker of some yeah. sort. I was going to say Ramirez, but we haven't really mentioned him. You know, he kind of bombs forward. And yeah. His touch isn't really the best. I, I, Hazard? I'm not sure. Hazard? We didn't <coughs> mention Hazard. No, I haven't a clue. Memphis Depay. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. kind of makes sense now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, Sorry, because that's... he's had one where it's like if you just let him dribble enough, he'll turn it over. Yeah, over that's a mean? sports journalistic injustice. We apologise yeah. for that from our <laughs> expertise point of view. Okay, so far this season, most passes per game. I'm not even going to give you points for guessing. It's Santi Grazola. Second is Cesc Fabregas. But who do you think is third? Who is the most passes? I'm Average like most passes per game. Um, Schweinsteiger. I, you know what? I'll. I'd be throwing out a few Freddo bars if you get this one right now. Um, Mar- Maris? Nope. Uh, let me think. Yeah, maybe a friend in the in the CAN. Silva's been kind of injured. Milner? James Milner? Nope, nowhere near. Barkley. South African. Stephen Peter? Nope. 
Born with Andrew's sermon. Oh my oh, God, wow. yeah. His first oh, weekend, he yeah, averaged over right. 90 passes, actually made more passes in Bournemouth's debut this year than Xabi Alonso did for oh, Bayern Munich. Wow. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, and Xabi Alonso holds, holds the record for European passes per game. Jeez, fair play to him. And last but not least, who do you think averages more tackles than any player per game? Uh, attempted tackles or tackles? It was attempted oh, tackles. Successful I tackles. Diego Costa trying to like, just <laughs> take out everything. Um, successful tackles for game. Uh, Cockadon? Nope. Vincent Company? Nope. Uh, Matic? Nope. Getting closer though with the defensive midfielder. Defensive role. midfielder. Cockadon. Uh, so it's not Lucas Leva? Yes. Oh, oh there, there we go. go. Yay! Jack O'Toole. Congratulations. What do you think of that? He's again not. I've heard some pretty good passing stats about him as well. It seems like Lucas is actually having a fairly solid. Season. For someone who actually looked like he was on his way out of the door, but Liverpool player that often gets laughed at or is yeah, a bit uh, of, bit of the butt of a bit of parody when it comes no, to. I, I wouldn't. I thought he was Liverpool's best player three or four years ago. You know, I thought he was the, the the rock that they had, but then he got injured for two years. And when you get injured for two years, we know we've seen in the past. It's, it's hard to come back from that. I I I think he's really admired, but I I I'm surprised that he's still there because I thought Brendan Rodgers would have had him out the door because there's been so many reports about that in the media, mm. you know. So fair play to him for keeping going and keeping faith, I suppose. All right, lads. So that ends our show. That's all we've got time for. Thanks very much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at DCUFM and I'm uh, Gavin O'Connor. And action replay. And action replay at DCUFM as well. Uh, I'm Gavin O'Callaghan. Jack O'Connor. again. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye. I will love it if we Sorry, I'm not here. Oh, we're not a whisper.